Amen. Amen. A great testimony. In the second message on our series on worship, Pastor Caleb made a reference to Jesus being enthroned in our praises, and he also made a reference to thrones in general. And as soon as he brought that up, I said, I have got to preach a message on the idea of thrones. And so uh, I've been waiting several weeks to get back up here and to, to preach this message. But this message is going to conclude the series on worship, but it's also going to start the next series of messages on the family. In September, we'll be doing a series on the family. We'll be doing four uh, messages. We'll be talking about marriage. We'll be talking about parenting. We'll be talking about building a family legacy. And we'll also be doing a message on finances in the family. Taking a look at the impact of finances in the family. What's God's take on money? And how does finances in your family work to your advantage? And so we have four great messages uh, that we're going to be doing on the family in September. But this is an important message that ties in how we worship and what we build for our family. Because whatever thrones we build in our lives affects our worship and it affects our family. And so today we're going to be talking about uh, both of those things uh, in, in my message today. And my message today is entitled, Building a Place Where God Dwells. So we want to build a place in our life where God can dwell. Amen? So let's look at the idea of what does a throne, what is a throne, what does it represent? And so I went into my wife's office today and got her Webster's Collegiate Dictionary that was published in 1940-something because when I want a real definition, I have to go backwards to get it. I, I looked up several definitions of throne on my, uh, and, and, uh, and that I googled and they were just totally incomplete. And then when I read the definition in here, when words really used to matter, hallelujah, I got a, a proper definition that I think that really works for what we're going to be talking about today. And so in this uh, reference and definition, it says a throne is this. It's a chair of state, a royal seat, a dais with a canopy for a prince or a bishop. And so the word dais means this. It means that it's not a, a, a chair that sits on the floor. It's a chair that sits above the floor to where when somebody sits in this seat, it becomes a seat of honor. Because when you sit above the people, people look at you. They get a, a higher picture of who you are. And then we can see that who would ever come and occupy this chair would be a person of honor, a person of dignity. And so the, the word throne, uh, it's a sovereign power and dignity, sovereignty, one that is vested therein. It's a high order of angels uh, that sit upon the throne. Uh, and so when we talk about Jesus uh, is enthroned in the praises of his people, it means that he's seated at a higher place of honor. That we, when we enthrone him, we bring him to a place to where he's above where we are. And then when that happens, 
the Bible says that he inhabits that place. And so the interesting thing about thrones, though, is that I have two chairs up here because there's two thrones that we operate out of. And unfortunately, one of them is man's throne, and the second throne is God's throne. For as long as man has been upon the earth, he has strived to have a throne. And what would that be? That man would want a place of honor, a place of authority, a place of power, a place to be recognized, a place of reputation, a place of esteem, a place of privilege, or a place of control. Because when man wants to lift himself above other people and to be seated at a place that's above everybody, these are the things that he's striving for. He's striving for power. He's striving for authority. He's striving for control. He's striving to be recognized. But in the kingdom of God, there's only one throne that effectively operates, and that's the throne of God. And so when you uh, look in the Bible, there's two great texts of Scripture that talk about this exact thing. This, this identity that man wants to have in being on the throne to be in a position of power. Turn with me, if you would, first to Mark chapter 10. And we're going to look at this first place where... Uh, man is striving to get into the, the, a place of power, a place to be seen, a, a place that uh, would be above other people. It's interesting that, uh, you know, there's all these things that, uh, that have been going on for years. You know, it's another one of those things that there's no new things under the sun, that history continues to repeat itself. But we as believers, we have to move ourselves from wanting that place of power to a place to where we are seated below the throne of Jesus bringing worship unto his name. So here's the disciples in Mark chapter 10, verse uh, 35, and it says this. It says that uh, then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him saying, teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. Wow. No pressure, Jesus, right? No, no worries. You know, I know you do your thing, but we're getting pretty good at our thing. And we've hung out with you now for 10 chapters of the, the Mark. We've been through a lot of things with you. We happen to believe that we're above the other 10 schleps that you have here. And we should have a place of honor because of who we are. Place of power, place of authority a place of control, and wouldn't this be a place of recognition? I would say so. Anybody who could have the seat next to Jesus would definitely be a place of honor and recognition. It's interesting because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. I didn't make that up, the Bible did. Out of the abundance, I've said things over the last several years that after I said them, I said, your heart is not in the right place. 
I know none of you else have had your heart in the wrong place and it's just me, but I'll take full responsibility for that because just every now and then you say something and you think, is that really what I meant? Is that really what I said? That's not the, that didn't come out right. But yet you need to examine the place of your heart. And so when they say, teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. I don't think that's what Jesus was saying in John chapter 14 when he said, whatever you ask in my name, I'll give it unto you. But they must have got their signals crossed here. Amen. Amen. But they, they were wanting to be in a place to where they could sit above all the other disciples, all of the other people. They wanted to be in that same place of honor that Jesus would ultimately get. So what was Jesus' response? I think I could read the next, chat, next verse in several different ways. But he says, and he said to them, what do you want me to do for you? That's the way I think he read it. But it could be read, what do you want me to do for you? I don't think it was that way. I think Jesus was like, what do you want me to do for you? Like that. So maybe I'm wrong. And they said to him, grant us that we may sit one on your right hand and the other on your left in your glory. But Jesus said to them, you don't know what you ask. See, most times when man is striving for a position of power or authority or control, they don't always know what they're asking for. How many of you have heard the, the things, be careful what you pray for, you might get it. How many times do we say, don't pray for patience because God's going to give you a string of things to build that in you. You know, don't pray that God would help you work through tribulation because you don't want no tribulation. Be careful what you ask for. Okay? And what Jesus is, is saying, you don't know what you ask. In other words, that what it takes to sit on this place of honor next to God is going to cost you something that I don't think that you're really understanding what it's going to cost me to get my seat seated next to the Father. And he said, are you able to drink uh, the cup that I drink and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? In other words, that Jesus was talking about what it was going to take for me to get there is not a place that you can be exalted to, but it's going to ultimately be a place that you're going to honor. And see, a lot of times we as, as, as human beings, we don't understand, especially in this day, what it's like to be in a position not to be honored, but to give honor. Not to be served, but to serve. Not to be seen, but to elevate the one who needs to be seen. You know, it's interesting because I might be the senior pastor of, of Redeemer's Church, but I'm not the, the leader of Harvest Preparation International Ministries. My job at HPIM is to make sure Pastor Chuck and everything that he does is successful for the sake of the ministry. And it's not about me, it's about what's best for it. 
And we have to transition ourselves no matter how big we are, no matter how pious we are, no matter what our personal positions are, we have to be able and willing to give those back, those places of honor that we have, to understand the place of honor that Jesus is to have in our lives. See, when we continue to read here, it says, they said to him, we are able. So Jesus said to them, now, everybody who wants to do that, listen, I've been in job interviews where I've convinced the person in front of me that you can't do without me. And really what I was saying is, is I need this job. I, I, when Tammy and I were first married, I went to this place at, called Capus Company. They install ice cream freezers and, and restaurant equipment. I didn't know anything about an ice cream freezer or a restaurant equipment. But by the time I was done with Jim Ritano, he was the guy who was in charge of the whole thing. He said this to me. He said, you're a cocky little sucker. I'm going to hire you. I think I like you. You remind me a lot of me. And then what happened was, is that I realized, you know nothing about what you said you could do. And so I was constantly swimming upstream and catching up with the things. And I learned a great deal in that job. But we also learn in those situations that the places that we aspire to, we might not be equipped to take authority in those situations. And he said to them, we are able. So Jesus said to them, you will indeed drink the cup that I drink. And with the baptism I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit on my right hand and on my left is not mine to give. Isn't it interesting here that even Jesus was in his teaching putting himself in his proper place of order. It was not his to give. It was his father's to give. He had not yet been glorified. And so when he's trying to teach them something here, he's trying to teach them about his exact place where he was in life. Now, we know he was the son of God, but he had not yet been glorified. He had not yet even earned his position to be seated at the right hand of the Father to make intercession for us. So it was not his right to be able to hand that position to somebody else. And so when we watch Jesus prepare something like this, he's preparing us to take our proper positions in the kingdom of God. And when the ten heard it, they began to be greatly displeased with James and John. But Jesus called them to himself and said to them, you know that those who are considered rulers over the Gentiles, what do they do? Why? Because that is the natural position of what man does when he gets seated on a throne. His natural position, and I learned this very early in my job career, is, is that when you get here, you make sure everyone under you knows who you are. It's all about you. It's not about the best thing for the company, although you have been perceived as a company man. But when man elevates himself on a throne, it's to make sure everyone else knows who is occupying that throne. That's the general status of man. 
And I'm going to share with you in a couple minutes here what happens when man exalts himself on the throne. What decisions come out from man that make it best for them regardless of what's the best or the right thing to do? See, this is why we as believers, we have to make sure that whether you're the worship leader, you're the elder, you're the, the leader of hospitality or greeters or whomever else, that you are not elevating yourself upon a throne, but people are watching you worship at the foot of the throne. Amen. See, when you get elevated into things in the kingdom of God, what that does is that that puts you at an even lower position so that people can use your back to climb over you to get to the one who is seated on the throne. But that's not human. That's not what humans find as a positional place. And so when Pastor Caleb was talking about this enthronement in the second week of worship, it just hit me to say, how do we teach people to get off of that throne so that they can bend at the feet of this throne? See, it's, it's an important thing that we understand. It's one of those messages that people, number one, don't want to hear and pastors don't want to preach. But the best thing for us to know is, and I say this all the time, this thing is not about us, it's about Him. Amen. And, and able, for us to be enabled to worship and serve Him and to do the things that we need to do to have a worldwide impact, we can't be seated on a throne. We have to be at the feet of a throne. And there's a huge difference. And Jesus called to them and he said, those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles, they lorded over them. And see, what he's saying is, James and John, you are requesting this position so you can lord it over those who are with us. We're all doing this together, but you want to be significantly higher than the other ten. Yet it shall not be so among you. And now this is why Jesus is teaching this all-familiar text that we've used many times. We might not honor it, but we use it. Yet it, not, it shall not be among you, but whoever desires to become great among you shall be your servant. And whoever of you desires to be first shall be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as what? A ransom for many. And so here Jesus is talking about this enthronement. He's talking about and taking the lesson of two guys that wanted to be on each throne with Jesus seated in the middle of them so that they could have an acknowledgement and recognition that they were better than the other ten. They were better than all of those who came after them and better than all those who would become believers in the future as well. They wanted to be acknowledged. Turn with me, if you would, to uh, Luke chapter 14. We're going to have another set of texts here that, talk, that talks about this exact same function of wanting to be seated in a place of honor. 
In Luke chapter 14, we see this, starting in verse 7. And the text of Scripture, in my word, talks about taking the lowly place. So he told a parable to those who were invited. And he noted how they uh, chose the best places, saying to them, okay? So this is what Jesus is saying. He's saying we're, uh, uh, we're, we're at an event, a place where people were invited to, and so he was noticing where they were sitting, okay? And he noticed the places that they were sitting were uh, the very best places that they could possibly inhabit, okay? Now, that's typical. Listen, I love when somebody rolls out tickets for, for me and they say, hey, pastor, I got some tickets. They're a deck of the Buckeyes. They're 20 rows up at the 50-yard line. And I know that when I'm in a deck at the 50-yard line, 20 rows up from the center of the football field, that I'm going to be hobnobbing with some people who paid a lot of money to be in those seats. Now, I look at that as a great blessing, but how I handle that is a completely different thing. By the way, Rick, are those tickets I'm going to buy next week, are those 50-yard line seats at, daggone it, I was going to use that as a great example for this message. So, yeah, I know. oh, now listen to what Betty just said. She said, if we had those seats, we wouldn't be selling them to you. Those would be our seats of honor. <laughs> that is a great, see, it did work out as a good example for here. And I wouldn't blame you a bit. I wouldn't blame you a bit. They're not, and so I am. It's, yeah, exactly. They're not those seats, so I am getting them, and uh, I don't know where. Timmy, you and I went, and we sat two rows from the very top. We needed not only oxygen, but binoculars. <laughs> Hallelujah. But I'm not complaining. Now listen, this is what it says in verse 8. When you are invited by anyone to a wedding feast, do not sit in the best place lest one more honorable than you will be invited by him. Now, another interesting fact. How do we rate who is more honorable than we are? Well, there's a lot of scriptures that talk about this place of honor and what we should do to make sure that everyone else is honored above who we are. I'm going to talk about that at the end here. And so when it says, uh, lest one more honorable than you is invited by him, we're always thinking of position and power and stature. So if I'm invited to a wedding feast and a pastor who pastors a church of 2,000 gets invited, then I should make sure that that guy gets the seat of honor because he's got more prestige than me. But that's not what God is saying here. He is saying in all of our lives, we should see everyone as having more prestige than us and honor everyone above ourselves. Yeah. Now, I'm going to bear that out scripturally. And so, and he who invited you, uh, uh, in verse 9, and him come and say to you, give place to this man, 
Then you begin with shame to take the lowest place. When you are invited, go sit down at the lowest place so that when he who invited you uh, comes, he may say to you, friend, go up higher. Then you will have glory in the presence of those who sit at the table with you. For whoever exalts himself, what? Will be humbled. And who, he hum and who humbles himself will be exalted. You know, when we talk about the kingdom of God, we always talk about things in reverse order of what's competent to what man thinks. And what do I mean by that? Well, we, we can start right in, in the idea of tithing. When, when God gives us uh, the, the provision that he gives us, he wants a portion of that back. And when we release the portion that he wants, we get in the right place of worship to him. When we hold on to what's rightfully his, then we position ourselves on our throne. And I've told you this story multiple times. When Tammy was trying to get me to do the right thing in this area, I was in control because I was the rock star at Rockwell. I was the young kid on the block. I was making all the money that uh, I thought was because of who I was. And then I read the scripture that said, why would a man rob God? And then I got irritated at my desk because I was young and on fire for God. And I, before I could even read any further, I said, who would rob God? What kind of fool would rob from God? And I, I, I then read on and it said, the person who does not give God his tithes and offerings is the one who robs from God. And then I had a picture of me taking out God's wallet and removing money out of his wallet and robbing him instead of being blessed by him. And so when we get ourselves into those positions, whoever exalts himself will be humbled. And he who humbles himself will be exalted. And so God wants us off of the place where we would put ourselves in a place to be seen, to be heard, to be exalted. And no matter where we are, no matter what your job title is, no matter what position you hold, do you realize the people with the highest positions who humble themselves before God will begin to elevate everyone who works for them because they will want what's the very best for them. They will want their giftings to shine. They will want them to succeed even more than they succeed. And that's a place of not only humility, but that's a place that God honors. And see, when we operate ourselves in the, in the way that God would have us to operate to honor Him, He exalts us and we can't help to be exalted. But when we try to exalt ourselves, at some point, we will be humbled. We will be humbled. And then He said to him uh, who invited him, He said, when you give a dinner or a supper, do not ask your friends, your brothers, your relatives, nor rich neighbors, lest they also invite you back and you be repaid. See, Jesus is continually going after the heart of human nature. 
And he's saying that to the guy who was sending out the invitations, your guest list represents what you want back. In other words, you've invited rich people that you want to be seated at the front because you want to go to where they are to be seated at the front of their event. And Jesus is saying, remove yourself from your throne, but when you give a feast, invite the poor. Invite the maimed, invite the lame, invite the blind, and listen to what he says in verse 14. He says, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you shall be repaid at the resurrection of the just. See, when we strive to put ourselves into the place where we are on our throne, we're always going to reduce the ultimate reward that we ultimately get. In other words, we can strive to receive everything that man has to give us when we place ourselves on a throne. But when we put Jesus on the throne and everything we do in our life is to exalt him, how we worship, how we live, who we associate with, the things that we do, where we place our resources, where we place our time we might not be seen by man or we might not get an earthly reward but your father in heaven sees everything that you do and one day when you get off of your throne you're gonna stand before him and he's gonna say well done faithful servant come and receive your reward But we have got to choose whose throne are we going to be at the seat of. And so when we look at that, let's look at Philippians chapter 2. Let's look at what the Apostle Paul has to say about this. In the realm of, of humility. Let's look at this. Philippians chapter 2 Verse 1 says this, Therefore, if there's any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if there's any fellowship of the Spirit, if there's any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord and one mind. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in the lowliness of mind, let each esteem others even better than himself. Now this is coming from a person who's came from a a place of high position, but he has realized the only thing that he received in that place of high position was a place of distorted authority that he then abused everyone who was under his place of the throne. He was the greatest persecutor of all believers. Right before Acts chapter 9, when God transformed his heart, he was at the stoning of Stephen, persecuting yet and killing another Christian in the name of God. See, there's a lot of things that we can do in the name of religion, but the bottom line is is we still want to be enthroned in them. Okay, stay with me now. It's going to get better, all right? I'm I'm not picking on you. Let each of us look out not only for our own interests, but also for what? The interest of others. 
Okay, so that's what Jesus is trying to teach here. He's trying to teach this position of humility. Turn with me, if you would, to Romans. Let's look at chapter 12. See, something happens when believers get below the seat of the throne that they can't occupy, but the one who does occupy it has their complete allegiance. And when we occupy our proper place at the feet of Jesus' throne, then we realize that everything we do in that place of honoring Him is being tabulated by Him, and one day we will have our just reward. I absolutely love reading the stories of the ones who have gone before us, and, and people like Moses, who led people to the foot of the promised land, but yet never saw their reward. I read a story about a guy who uh, was ministering many years ago, very successful man, and he got saved and God transformed his heart, and he went into the place of the Amazon, into the, the, the jungles, and he began to minister to all of the people who had never heard the gospel before. And he writes in his memoirs, he says, I felt like in all of the years of ministry that I accomplished very little, but the very little I did, I loved the Lord and did it anyway. He felt like there was no fruit from what he did. And just two or three years ago, there was another set of missionaries that went into this same place to track these uh, same mission and ministries that he did to find out that there were dozens and dozens and dozens of churches in these areas that when they began to tell their story, they directly related back to this one missionary who felt like he had no fruit in his ministry, but he could not see the dozens of churches that came out of the time when he paid the price and sat at the feet of Jesus' throne, did what he was asked to do, and now one day as he's sitting with Jesus, he gets to see the fruit of his ministry. And see, that's so prevalent in the body of Christ. And so when we look at Romans chapter 12, we see in verses 9 that Paul is saying to the Romans this very thing. He says, let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor, excuse me, what is evil and cling to what is good. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love. In honor, giving preference to one another. So... Uh, not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing steadfastly in prayer, distributing to the needs of the saints, given to hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. One of the greatest human frailties or faults is you can find 10 out of 10 people who will cry with you when something negative happens, but you'll find one in 10 that will celebrate your success. What do I mean by that? 
you hear somebody tell a story and then you go away from them and you go, I don't know why those guys got all that money. We've done all this for God and they're nothing. They do nothing for God and they ended up with this great blessing. Well, good for them. Amen. Rejoice with those who are successful. Amen. Don't just cry with those who have an issue. Rejoice with those who are successful. So to, to be in this position that God would have us to be, he's not wanting us to seek the front. He's not wanting us to have, seek the best seat. He's not wanting to seek a, a, a throne that we exalt ourselves to. He wants us to trust in the one that when you exalt him, that he will take care of the rest of it for you. Turn with me, if you would, to Proverbs chapter 14. Because this is really what happens when man tries to enthrone himself, and this has been going on through the ages. This is the, the, the wicked place of man's heart. And so when we look at Proverbs 14, verse 12, it says this, there's a way that seems right to a man, okay? There's a way that seems right to a man, and when he gets himself into this position of power, he will track that way to its ultimate end of its destiny, no matter what the outcome of that is, that way is because he is in control and the heart of man is inherently evil. Now, I'm gonna keep playing this out. Don't get upset, don't get mad. Because it goes on to say, there's a way that seems right to a man, but in its way is the way of what? Death. It says the same thing in Proverbs 16, 25. Rarely do you find two scriptures that are almost exactly the same verbiage unless somebody in the New Testament is referring back to something that was spoken in the Old. And so when we look at that, there's a way that seems right to a man, but in its way leads to death. I got the greatest example of that listening to an interview of a politician this week. So this politician was fielding questions, and somebody said this to them. They said, I was born September 8th of 1989, but on September 7th, of 1989 did my life have any value one day before he was born he was asking this politician if his life had value and the politician said well certainly I believe that your life had value but I also believe that it's not my right to be able to tell somebody what to do with their body and so the rest of the people that were at this rally began to cheer. Woo! We agree. One day before a baby's born, you should be able to kill it. Woo! This was at a college. One kid had the courage to bring the question out. But and then what came out was the person who was enthroned in that meeting gave a reply to a question that's shown in verse uh, 14, 12, there's a way that seems right to a man. He firmly believes that that is right. 
And when you put yourself on a throne, making life decisions for people, and you're on a throne, but you're not at the foot of the throne that you're supposed to be on, you're going to make a decision that elevates you every time. And see, when we're worshiping God, we can't be worshiping Him out of the heart of what we're going to take away from the meeting. You see, when we're, when we're living in our families, we cannot live in our families in the idea that when we become enthroned as the head of something, that we're going to take from that family everything that we can humanly get. See, Jesus is saying the exact opposite. Look, you two guys, you're not able to do what needs to be done to carry a position on a throne because you're proving that your heart is not right. Only I can take this place on the throne because I'm ultimately going to do for mankind what cannot be done in any other way. So that's why we fall at the feet of the one who deserves the place to be enthroned. And we have to be willing to say, I know that everything that I am and who I am, I have to completely remove the idea that I have a throne and that there can only be one who is worthy of this type of praise and I'm taking him off from the side because see we each had a throne in the same place but now I have got to choose to take his throne put it in the center of my life and live my life at the feet of that throne and when we get to the place to where our throne is removed and we sit at the feet of the one who deserves to be praised then we begin to do things differently look at Proverbs 3 5 we're almost done here trust in the Lord with your whole heart Lean not into your own understanding. In all your ways, your ways means in all of your opportunities, each day that you live, acknowledge him and he will direct your path. How do you remove your throne? In e remove yourself from the throne. In everything that you do, only trust God to lead you into the place that you need to be. Don't buy anything without presenting it to God first. He's the one that protects you. He's the one that knows the schemes of the enemy. He's the one that knows what your future holds. And so I don't buy, we don't even buy a car without praying and saying, Lord, show us what you have for us. We want to acknowledge you in all of our ways, okay? And so if you would uh, turn to Romans 12 again. We're almost done. See, when you come into the place to where you've removed your throne, your worship goes to a whole nother level. Amen. 
When you come into the sanctuary to give God praise for who he is and not what you can get, you begin to sing differently, you begin to act differently, you begin to dance differently, you begin to live differently. And when you can trust him that even in the midst of your worship, he can meet you where you are, you begin to see God in a different light. That's why it says in 12:1, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is what? I can't hear. Did I say it a little louder? It's just your reasonable service. See, when you get into a place to where you realize putting your throne away is just the reasonable place of where you need to be with God, then his, I, I, I wanted to build some scaffold here, but time would not permit that because as I read these scriptures, I wanted to keep placing his seat higher and higher and higher. And that's why we used to sing that song, lift Jesus higher, higher, higher. Higher, 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 higher. Because the higher we lift him is the more we exalt who he is. The last scripture, and you can stand with me right now, I want to read is from Galatians. How do we get to that place to where our lives are ultimately lived in the fruitfulness and fullness of who he is? And the answer is this, there's only one way, listen to this, there's only one way he can live his life through you. Only one way that he can live his life through you is for you to surrender completely to who he is. Amen. And the Apostle Paul says in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live. What a great place to be in understanding that I've given my heart to Jesus. I've asked him to come and work in that central area of my life to be who he is called to be. And it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Listen, I want, I want to be crystal clear here. There is no way that Jesus is sharing a throne with you. He is not sharing his place with those two disciples. He's not sharing his place with the rich guests that got invited to the wedding. And he is not sharing his throne with you. Because none of us came into that place to give what he gave to get his place. But the one thing that he wants to do is honor us in our commitment to him. To help us be everything that we are called to be as we come to the feet of who he is. I don't know about you. But I think that deserves a great amen. Can I get an amen? Because he is worthy to be praised. So let's continue to worship him, not from the position of who we are, but for who he is. 
And let's begin as we walk into this place of learning and growing the family over this next month, that let's move in through a place of humility to the things that he has in store for us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this truth of knowing that we can have two thrones in life and a lot of frustration, or we can honor your throne and have a lot of peace, a lot of contentment, a lot of faith, and a lot of uh, knowing our purpose in who you are by honoring your throne. So Father, I just pray that as we conclude this series on worship, that we would place our hearts in the hands of the one who is worthy to be praised, that we would remove ourselves from our throne and put you exclusively in the place of honor in our lives. Father, this weekend, Father, begin to just uh, continue to build this momentum that we have in this place of wanting to honor you for who you are. Father, I just pray in this weekend that you would bring us to a place to where we enjoy our family, where we honor each other, where we have the peace that you have promised us. And Father, I pray that in the heart of this church, that we would be those who seek you first and allow you to lead us to the places that you would have us to go. And so, Father, we just give you praise in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, Amen. Come on, let's give the Lord a praise offering. He is worthy to be praised. Hey, go in peace. Have a great weekend. And make sure you watch over the burgers on the grill so they don't burn. Amen? Hallelujah.